For Jesus, that's our prayer. That you would make us like you. That you would use what you say to us out of scripture today to do that. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before I start the sermon, I just want to ask a couple of questions of you to see if it's going to be relevant or not. So if any of these apply to you, just make a mental note. Have you ever gossiped? Anybody here ever do any self-promotion or get judgmental? Ever bend the truth a little just to make yourself look better? Ever get impatient or hold a grudge or obsess about money? Do you have any bad habits? Now, if any of those, if you said yes to any of those, or you're sitting next to someone who probably said yes to one of those, would you raise your hands? (laughs) Looks like this is going to be a relevant sermon. None of us are perfect people. None of us are the people that God originally intended us to be, and that includes this preacher. This fall, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. How do we make up there come down here in me, my church, and my world? And last week, I talked about how the kingdom of God is characterized by three R's. When God's in charge, there's reconciliation between us and God and us and each other. There's restoration of people and things to the way God intended them to be, and there's rejoicing. And today I want to talk about how those three R's can happen to us as individuals. How can God's kingdom come in me, in you, individually? Because none of us are who God originally intended us to be. You know, we start out pretty good, a little noisy at first, but pretty good. And then along the way we just get wrecked by a lot of different things. For starters, we get wrecked by our own sin. That's what's going on in the story we just read about Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. Tax collectors made their living by collaborating with the occupying Roman army and price gouging their fellow Jews. They were traitors and cheats and nobody liked them. Be like saying he was a drug dealer. And his decision to take advantage of people had shrunk his soul to the point where the only thing he cared about was money and possessions and he was miserable. Our sin wrecks us. Addictions, anger, lust, obsession, pride, all in one way or another wreck us. Sometimes it's other people that wreck us. Zacchaeus made sinful choices, but other people probably had a hand in wrecking him too. The story points out that he was short, which in that culture would have been taken as a sign of weakness. This means that probably for all of his life, Zacchaeus was getting called names, getting bullied, getting shoved into lockers or whatever the first century equivalent was. Junior high was probably miserable for him. Sometimes it's other folks who wreck us. Parents who criticize too much. Peers who humiliated us. Spouses who used us or, or don't pay enough attention to us. All of that leaves us lonely and insecure. And finally, sometimes the circumstances in life wreck us. The other story we read... There's a man possessed by a demon. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on there. Maybe it was a demon. Maybe he was mentally ill. Whatever it was, he probably didn't choose it. And sometimes our circumstances, disease, disabilities, unemployment, all kinds of things just happen to us that we don't choose. And we get beat up by life. And we get wrecked. 
And as a result, we are not the people that God intended us to be. It's a little bit like the walls in my house. When we moved in, they were so beautiful and so clean. But we have children. And so now they're covered with dirt and crayons. They are not the walls we intended them to be. That's us. We get wrecked. But the promise of Jesus is that he can build the kingdom of God in us. You just heard it from Frederick and James. Jesus can transform us. He can reconcile us to God and each other through his death on the cross. He can restore us to what we were originally intended to be, and he can bring us rejoicing. Jesus can make up there come down here in me and in you. That's his promise. And from the story we read, he does it in a couple of ways. And the first is this. The first way that Jesus builds his kingdom in us is Jesus seeks us. He is looking for us. In this story, it says that Jesus is looking for Zacchaeus, and he notices him there, up in the tree. I don't know about you, I'd never have noticed the guy up there in the tree. Right? I'd have come into town looking for the mayor or someone important. Who can I talk to that's important? Right? That's why I'm not Jesus. Jesus notices him. And we all have a need to be noticed and to be valued. A few months ago, the founding pastor of this church, Frank Burgess, was telling me and a few other of our longtime members here a story about a time way back in the 50s when he went to visit a woman who had, was a newcomer to the church and had asked for a pastoral visit. But all he had was this rural address for her, and as he was driving way out there in the woods somewhere, he got lost, and so he pulled over and asked this guy for directions. And the guy he asked said, Oh, yeah, you're almost there. Just keep going. But then this guy started going on and on about the wonders of nature and being in nature, and being natural, and how wonderful it was that they were all so natural, and he just kept going on and on, and pretty soon Frank started to put it together, and he said, this, this isn't a nudist colony, is it? The guy said, yeah, it is. <laughs> the woman who had visited our church lived in a nudist colony. Frank decided not to make the visit after all. <laughs> Probably a good call. And then when Frank finished the story, one of our longtime members, whose name I will not mention, said, yeah, but the really disappointing thing was she'd been in church the week before and nobody noticed her. <laughs> Ever feel unnoticed? Like no matter what you do, no one's paying attention? No matter your skills, your talents, people just pass you by? I'm sure Zacchaeus felt that way. Every time he oiled his tax-collecting, price-gouging, money-grubbing, Roman-collaborating south down the street, people would just turn the other way. He was a non-person, but not to Jesus. In this story, Zacchaeus climbs a tree because he's looking for Jesus, and what he finds is that all along, Jesus has been looking for him. And that changes him. Having been noticed, he begins to notice others and to care about them. Jesus is always looking for us. And that heals us of the wounds that have been inflicted by other people. Because having been noticed and cared for by Jesus, we can notice and care for others. Jesus seeks us. Second way that Jesus brings his kingdom to us is he forgives and accepts us no matter what we've done. In spite of all of Zacchaeus' sins, Jesus forgives him. But not only that, wants to go have dinner with him. Wants to socialize with him. Zacchaeus has been a social leper for years, and now, finally, someone wants to be with him. God wants to be with you. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that God likes you? He doesn't just love you because he's God and theologically he has no choice. He likes you. He wants to be with you. And when we experience his acceptance, we can become a lot more accepting people ourselves because we feel secure that we're loved. Third way Jesus brings his kingdom to us is he puts us in community. Jesus said that Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. What he's saying there is he belongs in this community just like you. He's putting Zacchaeus back into community. And that's what Jesus does with us. That's how he builds his kingdom. He puts people around us to encourage us and challenge us and to hold us accountable so that we can grow into the people he created us to be. He seeks us. He forgives and accepts us. He puts others around us. And finally, the fourth way Jesus restores us is he invites us to build his kingdom with him. As soon as Zacchaeus meets Jesus, he starts building the kingdom. He brings reconciliation by paying back everything he's taken from other people. He starts being part of restoration by saying, I'm going to give some of my money to the poor. And the scene ends with him and Jesus going off to rejoice together at his house. Zacchaeus starts to build the kingdom. You know, one of the best ways I know of to get over some problem I have is to get my eyes off myself and put them on someone else and begin to help. And I think that's why God, in order to restore us and heal us, calls us to build his kingdom with him. So we can get our eyes off of our own problems and put them onto someone else and onto God. Jesus brings his kingdom in us by seeking us, forgiving and accepting us, putting us around other people, and asking us to build his kingdom with him. And all of that changes us. And our part in all of this is simply to say that we need Jesus. The old-fashioned word for that is repent. It's the fourth R of the kingdom. All we need to do is say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive my sins. I need you to make my life whole. I cannot do this on my own. Say that, and then follow him with our head, heart, hands, and habits so that he can transform us. It's not always easy. It can take a lot of time. It involves some hard work on our part. But the promise of Jesus is that he will bring his kingdom in us. He will restore us to who he created us to be. But that's just what the preacher says. I'd like you to hear how this works in real people. So I've asked Tracy Stone, a member of our church, to talk a little bit about how Jesus has been building his kingdom in her. Good morning. Fear has played a big part in my life ever since I was a little girl. I was convinced that something terrible was going to happen to my parents and I'd be left all alone. As I grew older, my fears grew as well. I was haunted by feelings of panic any time I was faced with staying alone at night. But those fears reached an all-time high when I went through a divorce in 1994. Every night, as the sun would go down the panic would start to rise in me. After putting my young girls to bed, I would begin my nightly ritual through many tears, checking the locks again and again, looking out the blinds to make sure no one was there. My final action each night was to move a large overstuffed chair across the room in front of the door. I'd sit on the couch across from that chair and stand guard each night, 
waiting for the sun to come up and the terrors of the night to be over. Rwanda was going through her own terror in 1994 as well, a terror much worse than any imagined one that was going on in my mind. One million of her citizens were being brutally murdered by their countrymen in horrifying ways. But ironically, it was out of this terror of the genocide that God began to show me a way out of my own fears. As I read the accounts of women survivors in Rwanda, the courage of these women became in some strange way a source of courage for me as well. I wanted to go and see them to find out how they were able to make it in spite of their fears. But doing so would mean I'd have to go to Rwanda myself, something that scared me almost as much as being alone at night. So I tried to put them out of my mind. But God was growing a love in me that was so strong for the Rwandan people that I knew I was going to have to make a decision. Either stop caring for them in order to stay where life felt relatively safe, or face my fears and go and see them. Finally, God won out. I went to Rwanda. As you've heard me say before, that trip brought out a whole new host of fears in me. I desperately wanted to go home, but the thing was I couldn't. I had to find a way to let God get me through my fears. Slowly, I allowed him to show me what I'd come to Rwanda for in the first place, to see the courage of these incredible people and find out what I could do to help them. When I got home, I knew that God had called me to dedicate my life to working for the Rwandan people. I started up a nonprofit called Rwanda Partners. This last spring, I took a second team to Rwanda and discovered that sadly some of my old fears were still there. But God wouldn't leave me there. On our second day, our team went into the largest prison in Rwanda, 13,000 total prisoners, 95% of them accused of genocide. 7,000 of these prisoners were gathered in the courtyard, and there were very few guards to provide security. There was only a narrow little pathway for us to walk down in the midst of them all, and they were reaching out and touching us as we walked by and grabbing our hands and calling out to us to notice them. It was terrifying. We made our way to the stage where we spent the next two hours telling them about God's incredible love for them. And then the most amazing thing happened. I realized I wasn't afraid. And then before I knew it, many of my teammates and I were actually down in the prison yard dancing with these accused killers as we worshiped the Lord together. I was overwhelmed with God's incredible goodness to me. God had used me to help welcome his kingdom into the lives of some of Rwanda's most violent citizens, me, this person who was terrified even in Bellevue, this person who put furniture in front of her door in order to feel safe, was dancing with murderers and not the slightest bit afraid of them. Sorry, it's an incredible thing to see God build his kingdom in people's lives. I've seen him do it in my life, I've seen him do it in the lives of the Rwandan people. And though I'm actually still terrified of being alone at night, I'm even more afraid of not allowing God to build his kingdom in me. I long to live a brave life, to do courageous things for God. And he's showing me the difference it makes when I don't let my fears control me. I'm learning to let go of my demands that God heal me on my terms 
in order to let God be in control. It's not about me at all. It's all about him and allowing his kingdom to make its home in me. His strength and courage lived out in me, through me, in spite of me. Jesus is building his kingdom in Tracy. He sought her out in her need. He didn't leave her alone. He accepts her and forgives her no matter what. He puts people in her life to help her, like her husband and those around her. And as part of her healing, he has invited her to participate in building his kingdom, which is the bit that I find the most ironic, don't you? I mean, who would look at a person who's struggling with fear and say, oh, I know, let's send her to Rwanda. That should help. Right? God. And through his power, he's building his kingdom in Tracy. She is reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. She is being restored to the person he intended her to be, and there is rejoicing. I was on that trip, and I was one of the ones dancing in the pit with the prisoners. And as a result, God's kingdom is coming to Rwanda. On one of our stops on the trip that we took last spring, we were at a village called Niamata where Tracy's organization is helping to build a women's center to help women who were victims of the genocide to get health care and job training and the things they need to have a better life, also to get to know Jesus better. And we were there for the groundbreaking, and as we pulled up, the entire village had gathered outside in this huge field to welcome us. And, and as we got out of the cars and walked to the platform, hundreds of them were cheering and singing and dancing, a lot of dancing in Rwanda, I mean, we're walking into this, and I mean, we felt like rock stars, right? Is this for us? All right, rock on. You know, I mean, it was cool. <laughs> and the mayor was there, and someone from the president's cabinet was there, and people were singing and giving speeches how happy they were. And I leaned over to Tracy, and I said, look what you did. You had a vision, and you went for it, and now a whole village has hope. The next day, we met with some of the women from that same village, and they told us their stories of the genocide, of, of seeing their kids murdered in front of them, but having the strength somehow to go on anyway, and how thankful they were to Tracy for the help that she was bringing. And as they talked, Tracy's face was just soaked with tears, but they were not tears of sadness or fear. They were the tears of a woman who was in the process of being set free. Set free from her fears, set free from herself, set free to become everything that God created her to be. And because of Tracy, those three R's are coming to Rwanda. She's helping bring reconciliation between Hutu and Tutsi. She's restoring a whole village and lives and futures and hope. And a lot of rejoicing is happening because of it. And who would have thought that a scared girl from Medina could do all that? Well, Jesus thought it, as a matter of fact. He thought it eons and eons and eons ago when he was making the world and he said, wait a minute, my kingdom will not be complete without Tracy Stone. And so he made Tracy. And even though along the way she got wrecked by fears and divorce and all kinds of things, God didn't give up. And he worked with her until his kingdom came in her. And now she is participating with him in building his kingdom in Africa. That's how God works. It's a little bit like this statue. You've all seen it. Michelangelo's statue of David, tastefully cropped for church viewing. (laughs) 
Well, it was awkward trying to... Anyway. <laughs> it's considered one of the statue, greatest statues ever carved. But did you know that the stone from which it was carved was rejected by every artist in Italy as being hopelessly flawed? It had cracks, it had blemishes, it had spots. No artist would touch it. But Michelangelo took it and he worked on it for three years. And when he unveiled it, all the other artists were amazed and they said, how did you get such a beautiful statue from such a flawed stone? And Michelangelo said it was easy. I just looked at the stone and chipped away everything that wasn't David. That's what God does with us. There are those in our lives who would say to us, you are hopelessly flawed. Nothing good can come of you. Sometimes we say that to ourselves. But God says no. You are not beyond repair. You are not hopelessly flawed. I can make you beautiful. I can make you a work of art. And then he chips away every flaw, every crack, every rough edge until you become everything that he intended you to be until you become like Jesus. And our job is simply to submit to the chipping and not fight it. Which can be hard. Chipping is no fun. It isn't easy. It hurts. It wasn't easy for Tracy to go to Rwanda, but go she did. And as a result, and through the power of Jesus, she's becoming the person God created her to be. So what about you? You don't have to go to Rwanda, but where does God's kingdom need to come in you? How is he seeking you, accepting you, putting in you, putting you in community, and calling you to the kingdom? And how is he chipping you so that you can become everything he created you to be? And how can you participate in that chipping so that his kingdom will come in you and in this world? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in me, with Jesus. It can happen. Lord, we ask that you would do that in us, whatever it takes, that you would chip away until we become the people you created us to be. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.